Welcome to Next Level Business News with uh, Albert Mavunga. Today we have Mr. Maurice Impala, also known as Mr. Brown, who is Managing Director of MOB Capital, also a business columnist with the Chronicle and the number of portfolios that he occupies in the business fraternity. Uh, today our focus is going to be about investment, investment in our country. Uh, Mr. Brown, welcome to Next Level Business. Thank you, thank you, Albert. Great. Now, Mr. Brown, there has been uh, an investment conference in South Africa, which ended today, uh, which was held in Senton. And uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa stated that they've had uh, about 200 billion rands in pledges of investment. Now, this is their second conference, uh, which, which uh, was inaugurated last year, in 2018, where they had 300 million uh, 300 billion, sorry, of investment <laughs> pledges in their country. Now, South Africa keeps getting investment attractions and getting investment year in and year out. Why is South Africa an attractive investment destination? I think what we need to be careful is in terms of investments. Okay, uh, previously there was 365 or 300 odd billion, which is approximately between 150 and 250 million um, USD. And Investment uh, is it's a bit of, um, of a delicate, um, what can I say, it's a delicate asset. Mm -hmm. It goes where it's going to be mostly appreciated. So I think when you look probably in terms, if you want to compare probably Zimbabwe and in, in, in the SA uh, and say why is South Africa attracting um, that kind of money or those kind of pledges of which thereafter we might need to find out and find out and see whether in terms of what was pledged, what was really followed up on to be able to, you know, to gauge the actual investment um, FDI that was put in there, whether it's local investment or foreign direct investment. But what qualifies um, people now to be able to pledge into, into a country, is it way? There's always the kind of risk in terms of um, Zim and say to ourselves, do we respect investments that come in? That's, that's number one. Mm -hmm. And then if the investment are here, how can you take out your profit, as it way? That's the other issue. We also need to look at the rule of law. By and large, investments, they f tend to follow the, the, you know, the rule of law. And the other issue is the you know, proper rights. If I've got my asset here, how is it going to be respected? So when you look at the, uh, those factors, um, the few factors that I've just mentioned, now it's what determines whether someone is willing to invest into a country and be able to, even after investing, and they're able to carry more investment in, into, the, into, into, into the country. So we could safely say South Africa has those South aspects. Africa, here's a climate, um, here's a climate that's conducive enough to be able to attract that, um, that, that investment culture. And then what we need to look at Zimbabwe, in, in Zimbabwe in terms of returns, it has that attractiveness in terms of returns. But now, the unfortunate part is all this now, like right now I've got a currency issue, you know, how do you now come up and be able to say, how am I going to take out my money? If I put an investment for, let's say, 10 million and 5 million, and then down the road it's probably worth nothing, how do I look at that? So those are some of the factors that you're looking at. But in terms of it being an attractive destination in Zimbabwe as a country, it is. But now, it is now the current scenario which is proving a challenge in terms of everything else. And then there's always been also the, the corruption aspect of it all, where probably, I think you've, you've had some documented cases where someone wants to come in, they need a bribe. So the cost of doing business in Zimbabwe, it's, it's, it's also on the high side of things. And then, not just the cost of doing business, but the ease of doing business. How, how long does it take to register a company? How long does it take into, into, to get into business? So all those put together now, they become a deterrent. Looking at the, the current situation in the country that affects investments, 
Now, we've had a recent introduction of, of a currency into the country and the banning of, uh, well, in courts, of the use of the US dollar. Does that affect uh, foreign direct investments, these changes in, in currency usage and in the market? Uh, what we need to appreciate, okay, that that's not a change in currency though, but it's just changing notes. Um, but to the outside world, if not communicated properly, it's changing currency. And that now brings a bit of, of uncertainty. So that on its own creates uncertainty. And now in terms of investment, that becomes a challenge. And we're not communicating effectively to the outside world what we're trying to do and what we're trying to, to achieve. So you need to have like a, a broadcast um, that spells out what our intentions are in terms of a country, in terms of the currency, because currency is also got a bearing in terms of the investment. So you need a crystal clear policy that says what you want to say and you communicate with the outside world or to who be potential investors so that they can understand what's happening. And bottom line is like, you need to give them hope. Um, you know, bring confidence onto the market, bring you know, trust onto the market, so that when they bring in their money, they know what they expect from this, you know, this part of the world. So that on its own, what we've just done now, bringing uh, the new coins and the new notes onto the market, the outside world does not understand what we're doing. And then what we did now, trying to bring the local currencies, it, by now, you know what, doing away with the market currency and bringing the uni currency, Already, it also creates a challenge in terms of how do you now siphon or how do you like take out funds or your profits, whether it's shoulder profits or any other profit that you might to define. How do you take it out? So all things being equal, when everything else is in order now, it's not a challenge as long as you're able to you know bring your money, take off take off your profits to where you want them to, because already you brought in the funds from outside the country. So the biggest challenge is like, can you be able to take out your profits once you make your, your money? So that's where the biggest challenge is. Now, you mentioned that um, there has to be a message, the right message that's been sent to the outside world, and people don't really understand what's going on in the ground, on the ground. Now, with the new dispensation, their mantra has been Zimbabwe is open for business. Is, do you think the PR strategy that is there right now is doing a good job in relaying uh, a clear-cut message about Zimbabwe? I think when the... the um the mantra came in, I think, uh, I think it was, I was on national radio talking about the PR strategy. Um, you see, when you come onto the market, you need a bit of marketing. And, and initially it was done very well and everything else. It was done to the outside world and everyone bought into it. But now we do not walk the talk in terms of now. When we brought in business into, into, into the country, did they find fatal ground? So which is what I've always said, like in terms of um, the new dispensation, what they should have now identified the areas now that are impeding the, you know, the, the very fast tracking. Because what we're, what we're looking at is, is radical transformation in terms of um, industry, radical transformation in terms of, um, of, of value systems, which is like fighting corruption. So what we need to do to back it up, as it were, in terms of that mantra was now to be able to look at those factors that are slowing us down. One is the ease of business. Now let's change all the laws and regulations that affect us. Let's look at all the other probably political reforms, as it were. Let's look as well as the other, um, what can I say, economic reforms. You know, ease of doing business, um, everything else that comes with that, so that it will be able to, to carry out business in a manner which is what? Which is fruitful. And then above all, there's corruption, which has been probably in terms of the index, which has been like very up there. Mm -hmm. And for all information, if you talk of corruption, it's not only in government, it's across the board, both private and public sector, they're guilty of that. So that's what we're trying to look at and say, let's do that which is necessary. So the mantra in terms of the marketing tool, it was, a, it was a good move, but we needed to walk the talk in whatever we're supposed to do or objectives towards creating that Zimbabwe is open for business.
Okay. Now, uh, Bloomberg wrote an article titled Zimbabwe has little to show for 27 billion investment. These were pledges by investors mostly in mining and energy. Is it normal for investors' investments to take this long uh, or pledges to take this long? I think what we need to appreciate is in terms of um, investors have got their own DNA. And what normally happens, investors have that wait-and-see approach. So what the investors did now, because when we marketed Zimbabwe to the outside world, it was a very marketed tool. Uh, you've got change in government, you've got people now, new people coming, the new dispensation coming. So people now will bit on, on the sidelines to say, let's wait and see. So it's only human nature to say now, to take a position as an investor. So when they took a position as an investor, you know, they had to wait maybe for a couple, one, and, one year to one and a half years. But now when the macro fundamentals started like distorting the economic situation in the country, people do not follow up with those pledges, which is the same thing that I'm saying in terms of um, RSA, where you've got the 360 last the previous year, probably now, probably 200 something. It's not now. They, they will need to watch the climate and see, is this still conducive for us to carry on with our pledges? So in terms of that, to me, that's a normal scenario now to say, if I pledge something, then if conditions now do not suit or do not now give me peace of mind to be able to invest into that, into, into that vehicle, into that company, or into that asset, and then that becomes a challenge. So now we need to be able to say to ourselves, in terms of, of attracting investment, it has to be like a daily thing that we need to be doing. We need to be very attractive because everyone else is looking for that investment. But now, unfortunately, some of the rules and regulations are not internally determined. They're international, internationally determined. So whatever uh, systems or whatever um, criteria they're using, you need to abide by the international standards. So this is where the biggest challenge is. So if those things are not met, you might find yourself wanting in terms of attracting investments. Do sanctions, if they exist at all, do they impede investment? I think what we need to, to have a look at now, it's, um, in terms of sanctions, um, let's have a look, let's have a bold statement about it, not be emotional about it. San sanctions, some are targeted, I mean, but look here, those targeted companies operate with other companies. They also form, what, another avenue where there's a bit of a challenge in terms of sanctions. You need to appreciate that. So, but sanctions is just one of, one of the issues that affect you. I'll tell you right now, there are certain banks that you can't operate with. But you're not, you're not on, the, on the smart sanctions as it were. But you're affected because probably one of those companies is a targeted um, mm -hmm. entity. So you're affected indirectly. That's one, number one. Mm -hmm. But we, we mustn't look at sanctions on their own and say, are these bad? Yes, sanctions are bad because you can't survive. Because there's sort of so many lines of credit. You can't do business with ABCD. You need to look at that. So you need to look at sanctions on the global picture of everything else. But you also need to come back home and say, there are other issues that are for own making like a corruption, which is like the other issue that we, we need to look at. I know uh, most of these corruption and sanctions it has taken a political uh, route uh, where it's, it's polarized the country. It's not supposed to be like that. I mean, let's call it a spade. Where things are bad, if sanctions are bad, let's call them bad. If corruption is bad, let's call it bad. To what extent is it bad? I mean, just unfortunately now it has taken not the economic route, but it's taken the political route, but I can't blame them. Everyone else is trying to get mileage or leverage from that. But those two corruption sanctions are just a cancer which is, is going to decimate the country in the long run. Now, you've mentioned uh, corruption uh, a, a number of times. Is it lack of business ethics in the country or is pure greediness in your own assessment? What I'm looking at now is a situation where I'm saying to myself, in terms of corruption, uh, I'm looking at it like it's a value system that has been eroded. And then people at times lack patience and they want to cut corners and, you know, gluten and greed, which has been happening. That's another issue. 
Then the other guys, um, at times, they don't know what they're doing. They're just being corrupt because they don't know what they're just partaking in terms of a lot of things. But when you look where is the problem now, you need to address the problem. Those that are, um, are being corrupt right now, you need the Lord to take his course without fear, favor, just across the board. Mm-hmm. Let's talk the talk in terms of corruption. And then those that want to be in, so they need to be deterred by those uh, probably court cases that are coming out and not showing any fear and favor in terms of position, in terms of authority, in terms of political inclination. And then you've got the long-term aspect of it, which is the value system, which people call Ubuntu or Ubuntu where you groom kids as they come up that they have to be hardworking, nothing comes for free, you don't have to cut corners. That's the long uh, wall in terms of uh, putting the whole thing onto, the, onto, onto fighting corruption. But at the end of the day, um, you see, there's nothing like, oh, we're going to say you're sinning a little, you're being corrupted a little. You look at some of the minor issues that we're doing, you and me, those are also corrupt tendencies. But we tend to look at the bigger picture. But how does it, you graduate from the small little things to bigger issues. So this has to be dealt with decisively. And in terms of corruption, we can't really eliminate corruption entirely, but we need to have minimum levels of corruption, because in every society, I mean, crime pays, but it's not sustainable in terms of everything else. So we need people to walk the talk. Those in authority need to walk the talk. We need to, you know, best practices in terms of international best practices, that's what we need to, to stick to. And even most of these company secretaries in various companies, they need now to, to police wherever they're supposed to police in their companies. So it goes across the board. Mm-hmm. So both public and private, we need to abide by service charter that determines that which is supposed to happen. And everyone that is at variance, there has to be consequences. It's like people now do not have fear of anything. Yeah. Whatever, whether it's rules, whether it's religion, whether it's just, you know, Amaj Dozi, you know, a central spirit, as it were. So this is what the challenge is. Nobody's got any fear for anything else. And now the unfortunate part is like you've got now the young guys that are intelligent, that are very rich, and that are ruthless, that are even now going to perpetuate corruption at a higher level. So we've got a serious thing that needs to be stemmed with, and we need to come up with serious measures that are deterrent to everyone else that comes, want to come into the sector. Because corruption is a sector of its own, and it's quite bad in terms of eating resources of the country. Now, policy-wise, uh, economic policy, of course. Is Zimbabwe actually open for business? Yeah, that's the other issue. Good question. Um, I must ask. You see, it, what um, the government did, like, it was a very good marketing strategy. But probably, um, in terms of the government out there when they were selling um, the Zimbabwean investment destination um, coordinate, it was a good thing. But when we came in now, we discovered possibly in terms of other various policies, various government um, sections, they were not yet ready for, for that. So when people now came in, they discovered whatever we saw them there, there was a variance between expectations. So when we came in, discovered now it takes me longer to, to be able to what? To, to open a business, it takes me longer to register. And it even found that there's some corrupt tendencies, both in private and government sector. So that was a deterrent already to be able to say no. Even if I'm coming to the private sector, I'm still facing the same challenge that I'm facing in the public sector. If I want to register my company, I've got this. Everything else, if you look at the, the minimum requires that are, are required in terms of capital investment coming in, like 500,000 500, US dollars, that's not a lot of money anyone else can afford to do that. And then the other issue now, some of the investment people that are bringing in, they are not really proper investors. I mean, surely if I'm going to bring some for 500,000, what are they going to do? They're going to do the sectors that are reserved for the local people, which is not a good investment. We're not trying to look at those small investment um, vehicles. We're looking for bigger investment vehicles that will change what? That will change the face of the country. But we need to shape up in terms of you know, our corruption index. We need to shape up how we do business. Actually, the culture of how we do business, which is the, which is the DNA 
which is the man in the mirror across the public and private sector, he has to change to be able to accept mm -hmm. and be able to be fertile ground for what? for investment, especially what, what you call foreign direct investment. But even still, even a local investor is finding difficult. You might discover a foreigner is better off investing in Zimbabwe than a local guy. Because a local guy has got so many hegels investing in whatever business they want to than a foreign person. That on its own in terms of investment, it just equal. We've yeah. got a Zimbabwe that's foreign guys that have got a lot of money, a lot of expertise that want yeah. to invest in the country. Mm -hmm. They need to find fertile ground. And mm -hmm. fertile ground, there's a lot of various fundamentals that we need to that I alluded to earlier on, like your rule of law, you know, your, your consistency in your currency, your consistency in terms of your policy. So in terms of policy, you need a proper foreign policy or local policy that encourages production, cost-effective production to be able to export and bring the necessary, you know, revenues. So Zimbabwe is open for business for foreign investments, but having it tough for the local investor. You, you might want to say that, but at the same time, we, we need to look each case on, on its merit and say, as far as this case is concerned, let's, um, I don't want to put a blanket uh, thing to everything else. Let, what we might want to do is like, let's probably look at five cases and say, who had it is, a foreign investor or a local investor? But either way, I'm just going to look and say, as far as investment is concerned, possibly in this mobile scenario right now, they're finding it difficult, whether foreign or local, because this is what we need to address now and be able to let business be able to thrive. What the government needs to do is like offer a conducive environment, is it? Like even if you look at the special economic zones, surely I cannot have someone have a special economic zones when they're producing locally for a local market. It creates an unfair, yeah. an unfair platform. So I need that, those guys to be exporting. So these are some of the policy inconsistencies that we need to have a look at and have a playing field, level playing field for everyone else so that whatever you're putting your money in, whether you're local or foreign, your investment is nurtured and is cultivated to the extent that you get your return on investment. I mean, if we don't do that, then, you know, there's got so many various destinations that investors are looking for. And what we need to understand, Zim is just one of them. And once yeah. we appreciate that, we need to shape up accordingly. And it's not our money. If it's not our money, we tend to play by the rules and regulations of, of what? Of the investor. But without now sacrificing our, 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 what, our, our integrity in terms of territorial, in terms of economic, in terms of everything else. Now, as we close, come to a close, I have one more question. Are we en route to a middle-income nation by 2030? We, we, we just had a bump recently when, um, you know, when the statistics came out where we dropped one, one stage or one inch on under. We came back in terms of everything else. And then the unfortunate part now, we've got inflation, which is um, ravaging your middle incomers. So that's one thing that we need to have a look at in, te in terms of trying to, to stabilize your micro, your micro policies, you know, your, your financial, you know, have both financial and fiscal coming up to, to cultivate that. Right now, we bit of got a challenge in terms to attain that by 2030. So what we need to do now is like radical transformation in terms of everything. Uh, radical transformation leadership, strategic leadership, to be able to ask to achieve that. But we need, we can only achieve this if we work as a team, because each individual is, I mean, depend on uh, different ideology. We need to work towards a common goal, achieving economic independence. But right now, with inflation at the levels at which they are, we might find it difficult in terms of achieving this, especially in, in 2020, when we're going to now have to look back and say, in retrospect, what did we do in 2019 that which makes us be able to reach 2030 and be able to say we're well, making income. So it's, it's, it's a challenge for everyone else. It's calling for a united approach. It's calling now for people to observe fundamentals. And moreover, it's about the economy at the end of the day. Mr. Brown, thank you very much for your time on Next Level Business. Thank you.